Hey, Carl. I'm two minutes and 39 seconds into episode 242, and I think the game you're talking about is Traveler. Oh, 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geomologist Presents. That was Jason Connerly at the top of the show. And yes, he wins a Benny. If you ever join me for a game, you get an extra one of the meta currency when we play a game that has meta currency, whether that be Savage Worlds or a Modifius game, or I don't know, Pathfinder 2 has hero points. In Pathfinder 1, they're optional. And since I'm a mean GM, I'm not going to have them anymore. Um, I guess Eberron in 5e. Well, you have inspiration, but no one really uses it. Eberron actually in 3.5 did have like a action point. So I guess you could have them in there. And I don't know what other meta currencies one has in their games. But uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So Jason, uh, well, uh, let's talk about the show first. Jason has another call in that we will talk about. But here in this show, well, we're going to talk about some of the games that I played. I got a new product that I'm pretty, it's pretty cool and excited about that I'd like to get to the table, but I don't know. You know how those things go. And then I do it on, no, what else do I do? Uh, there's something else I did. Right. So the other thing I did, well, I didn't do anything else, but the other thing I'm going to do is ask about and discuss whether you need, as I discussed the games that I ran or played, do you need action, like fighting specifically, because sometimes there's action without fighting, to have an exciting game session? So it'd be great if I got some feedback and call-ins regarding that question. I also have a great call about white boxology from Joe Salvador, the Raven God. So without further ado, um, well, let's uh, get on with it. You're up, Jason. Carry on my wayward son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest, don't you cry no more. Hey Carl, just listen to your MOSR episode with BJ. Great episode. Um, so, as far as the number of weapon proficiencies outstripping the number of weapons allowed that was alluded to, that's in rule cyclopedia with the weapons mastery rules because your non-fighter classes start with two uh, weapon proficiencies under those weapon mastery rules. But magic users in rule cyclopedia only can use daggers, period. So now as far as Runehammer, Hank Infernal's turn order at ICRPG, yeah, the way that works is you start it doesn't really matter if it's clockwise, counterclockwise, but you, you you go around the table and like BJ explained, everything's in turn order, even out of combat, it's in turn order and it just goes around the table, you know, clockwise manner or whatever. And if people want to change their order, they get up and change seats, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, that's how it works and it works really well. So highly recommended for that. Anyhow, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, Jason, thank you for that call in. And yeah, I'm I'm not going to look up Roll Cyclopedia or how BX does the weapon proficiency. I guess it's kind of funny, but 
I don't think BX even uses proficiency. Well, weapon mastery, I guess, in Beckme Rules Encyclopedia. But I was going to look at weapon proficiency in other D&D games, AD&D specifically. I don't know um, OD&D, and I don't know Chainmail. So we're going to look at AD&D, first and second edition. But first, thank you for what um, Index RPG does. I think that's a great idea. And it could definitely help to speed things up around the table or to really spotlight people around the table as the game goes. So that's a great idea. All right, weapon proficiency. Let's look at AD&D Player's Handbook. So magic users can use daggers, darts, or staves. And they start with one initial proficiency and they don't get another weapon proficiency uh, until sixth level or one every six level so yeah uh it'll be like what that 13th level 12th level before they get uh all three of those and their non-proficiency penalty is a minus five so it subtracts to the hit dice when it applies to attacks of the character when using a weapon in there it doesn't say anything about damage but it might say that in the dmg all right so let's see if there is an amendment in so it maybe if you get to high enough level, that could happen. But let's see if the amendment in AD&D 1.5 or Unearthed Arcana says anything different. And for reference, before I turn to Unearthed Arcana, that is on page 19 for the types of weapons a magic user can use. Oh, and an illusionist, if that matters. And 37 for the weapon proficiency and proficiency progression. Interestingly, in Unearthed Arcana, the magic user adds Caltrop, uh, Knife, and sling to dagger, dart, and staff. And they still only start with one proficiency and get them one every six levels. So I don't think you're going to have a problem catching up or out using the number of proficiencies that you might have. If you're using non-weapon proficiencies, they get uh, more of them. Oh, first off, page 13 again for the types of weapons for magic users and page 26 in Anarthakana for the proficiency table. So, uh, non-weapon proficiencies. On page 23 in the Dungeoneer Survival Guide, but it says the same thing in the Wilderness Survival Guide, magic users, they um, get three non-weapon proficiencies, and every two levels, per six levels, they get um, another, they get two every six levels. Two per six levels, so I guess one every three levels. Uh, four non-weapon proficiencies. And fighters, uh, they get one every third level. So it's about the same progression for that. I think the best that gets... Um, who gets the most non-weapon proficiencies? Clerics, it looks like. two. They start with two and one every two levels. Maybe it evens out. But anyway, there's so many non-weapon proficiencies, it doesn't matter. You won't catch up. So I don't think that'll happen really, for magic users in 1st edition AD&D. In 2nd edition, on page 50, we have proficiency slots for wizards. They also get one, and the next one they get, well, they get one every six levels, minus five penalty, the same as before, and they start with four non-weapon proficiencies and get one every three levels. I do not seem to be able to find a restriction of the type of weapon that they can use, however. 
yeah, I don't seem to find one. So I guess there you go. Can use any weapon, but they're limited in the number of times they can pick a weapon, and they can only start with one. And it's a pretty hefty minus five penalty. Well, so there you go. Weapons proficiencies, I don't think, uh, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to have more weapon proficiencies than you have weapons to be able to use for a magic user, I believe. All right. Next up, we have Joe Salvador talking about white bi boxology. It's a great discussion. I probably don't have much to say after, uh, but thank you, Joe, for that call. It's great to let us know about the white box. Hey, Carl, it's Joe. Uh, just calling in after your MOSR episode. Um, I really enjoyed your talk with BJ about MOSR uh, games, and especially the games that you are you guys are choosing to play, and how you're using those rule sets, uh, you know, at your tables. Um, everybody knows I'm a big fan of White Box. Uh, like BJ, I used White Box to introduce my stepson and his friends into tabletop role playing. Um, kind of went off without a hitch, man. Um, I originally used Pathfinder, actually, and that had you know, no traction. Uh, he was not interested in that big book at all. Um, briefly, I used, um, was it Basic Fantasy role-playing? Uh, Chris, Goner Chris Gonerman, I think, is, uh, is the author. Um, and... Soon after that, I found White Box, and we, we just dove right into White Box, and it, you know, they just, I didn't even run it for a long time. Like, they took over, I stepped away, and, and they played for quite a while. Um, yeah, so, uh, what else? There was maybe some clarifications, I guess, at least my understanding of Swords and Wizardry. So, White Box is based entirely on the original three little brown books from the set except for the thief which is uh, it was drawn from Greyhawk I believe uh, Swords and Wizardry Core which doesn't seem to have lasted very long it seems like it just kind of perished uh, Core included more classes and maybe spells from both Greyhawk and Blackmore uh, the assassin and the ranger I believe I mean, no, the assassin and druid I think are from Blackmore and maybe the ranger came out of Greyhawk, something along those lines. Uh, Complete, rather than being an AD&D clone, is actually based on the entirety of the OD&D system. So not only the box set, but all of the supplements, Eldritch Wizardry, etc., as well as Strategic Review. Um, and it's interesting to see like how close it is to AD&D. Um, it's almost like a simplified AD&D, right? But it is entirely inspired by the OD&D system, I guess. Um, what else? Uh, so, uh, White Box Fantasy Fantastic Medieval Adventure Game. Uh, Charlie Mason. Really cool guy. Uh, I've, I've had some dealings with him in the past. Um, probably my favorite OSR rule set. I, I think it's super clean. It's a really cool little package. A great... It's a fun book to look at. It has cool art in it. Um, and for my money, I'll take White Box or even Complete over BX or OSE any day of the week. To my mind, I mean, well, 
all these all these rule sets kind of do the same thing. Um, I feel like white box stands apart in its ability to just kind of get out of the way. I feel like it's really open, really conducive to sort of narrative play, um, and you know, rulings on the fly. I feel like with OSE and BX, I feel like sometimes the procedural aspects kind of kind of bog things down. To finish that thought, um, I realize that a lot of those procedural things can be hand waved or ignored. Uh, you know, totally depending on what the the GM wants to do and how they want to run the game. Um, so, you, you, like I said, the systems are very similar. They do similar things. Uh, but I, I do think the white box is a solid choice. I think it's really clean, um, really easy to, to, to run at the table. And, uh, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with it. So uh, I mean, that's all I had. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to talk about OSR things. Thanks for mentioning Elder Sales. Very cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, hope you guys do some more, man. I'd love to hear some more uh, OSR talk. All right, man. Cheers. Hey, Joe. Thank you for the call. Yeah, I really need to revisit Sword and Wizardry. I played a game of Sword and Wizardry at uh, North Texas RPG Con last year, and I really enjoyed it. And I have the box of that, which I guess is white box. I don't know. But thank you for all those clarifications, and I definitely want to revisit it and check it out. I know I have a few of these like free RPG day things or little promos for Sword and Wizardry that I can just run as a one-shot, see if I like it. But I got a lot of retro clones uh, that I can run and use. And some I enjoy more than others, and I really want to get more to the table. It's just finding the players, right? I have my home group, which we play regular every week, and we flip games, Warhammer Fantasy and Pathfinder 2 right now. And they're very... Some will play anything, but some are like, I only want to play the modern game. I don't like the old game. So I got to find uh, the right people. I know Amy is always willing to try, and I know we have scheduled... At some point, maybe in March, we'll try our hand at AD and D, like a, a dual game, um, when she where she's you know single player and a bunch of hench men, hench people, um, hench persons, however you say that. But uh, we'll see how that goes. So, so yeah, um, pretty cool stuff, I think. Joe, thank you for that wonderful explanation. Uh, I love your stuff. I can't wait to see more of it, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, we're going to play Bloodlords today. So who is everyone playing? I'll go this way, which you guys can't see, clockwise. All right. I'm playing Urian Kelbalar, a an elven uh, dampier investigator. I'm Shin Fang, a uh, elf dampier witch. I'm Brian Redford, also known as Smiling Fox, and I am a swashbuckling skeleton. I'm playing Ash, a Goron monk with a money counter background. I am Slevin, a human Nephilim, uh, backgrounds with propaganda promoter, and a uh, mastermind rogue. All right. Yep. So a very unique cast of characters for our Bloodlords campaign. This is the second session. The first session, we almost ran over a guy with an undead cow, bull with big horns. It was a cow with big horns. Anyway, so we're going to continue. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I was able to get my home group players to record themselves. And uh, pretty cool to do. We did play Blood Lords tonight, our second session. The first session, like I said, they started the investigation. 
And in the second session, they finish the first investigation, which is going to lead to more un unraveling the onion, so to speak. It's a cool investigative adventure. But Paizo's always really good at the low-level first adventure and an adventure path. And then sometimes they bog down or drag. But we'll see how this one goes. It's definitely a very evocative, descriptive adventure. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of description of what the people are eating. Um, there is like a description of the architecture, a lot of bones and death and macabre, since they're playing in this land called Geb, which is over, which is ruled by a ghost king lich thing. And undead kind of rule. Undead are in positions of power. Um, oddly, their patron is not undead, but a necromancer and seems to be have this hidden, you know, smiley face and very jovial, but definitely some of the players have picked up on her sadistic streak. So uh, so we'll see how if that turns into anything. But it's been pretty good. Uh, this, this session was a lot more efficient um, in that the players kind of knew the rules and how things went. Uh, we had more combats than just the one and ducking around and more investigation. And like I said, they finished the first investigation. They were rewarded by their patron, and now they have a deed and a key to a house, a manor house, that they can call and make a base, which is kind of neat. So they'll be able to work on this base, dump money into the base, um, so to speak, and it can be their base of operations for the remainder of the uh, adventure path, one hopes. So we'll see, unless they move from Grey Dirge onto other places, uh, but we'll see. I was able, also, kind of kind of neat, um, I printed out a 16 by 20 map of Grey Dirge, and I laminated it, um, or it had it laminated, so we can kind of see where people go and all that. So I realized I haven't really talked about a game since my recap podcast of January 26th, though we have played quite a few games uh, since then, a lot of them you can see the actual play on my YouTube channel. I was actually able to play on Jan 27th, um, or yeah, I think we released it. We premiered it on Jan 27th, um, the Hardmaster RPG, the sag set the first part of the Sagar uh, Saga, Sagar, the Saga of Gundar Green Eye. I need my words today. I need my words. It's just late. You know how it goes. And Amy and I is a solo game or dual game, however you call them. Amy's playing, she's playing herself, and then has two, her two brothers are uh, player characters or NPCs until other people want to join us, and then they can become player characters, or however that can work. And uh, we haven't gotten back to it, but I thought it was pretty cool, um, actually. And there was no, I mean, there was no combat. Uh, I think Amy looked at the character sheet, understood the, that there's like not hit points, but wounds, and understood the lethality of the, of the potential conflict. Uh, she saw that her her and her brothers would be overwhelmed by the potential combatants, so they hid, they fled, they sabotaged. Amazing, an amazing role. Amy sometimes break rule twenty. She got a critical role when she fired, used a fire arrow created from some pitch that they had found in a burning building, and a, a fire arrow and shot the boat into the rig, shot the arrow into the rigging of these marauders, and. Um, or potential adversaries, marauders in their mind, and basically fired the boat so they can't follow, which is kind of cool. We have also played some Twilight 2000, and we had a really neat, um, really neat couple episodes where after the adventures that I've talked about, and I talked about how they captured the airfield, 
how the adventurers kind of then planned, the adventurers, the Free Krakow Coalition, the survivors, planned an engagement to tackle and intercept a convoy of their current nemesis, Baron Zarni, the Black Baron, in the ruins of Warsaw. We're playing through those. And we they did the planning in one session. And the second session, well, the intel wasn't quite accurate. So it was a two-pronged engagement. They The convoy split, had split up and one was guarding a bridge and the players, half the, the scouting group, engaged them very quickly, took them out with surprise. And then be, so and then kind of waited for the others to arrive. They talked about it. And then they sent the uh, hind. They have a hind D. Maybe in retrospect, I should not have given them a hind D. Um, but, um, but yeah, they, uh, uh, the hind D flew up there in like three minutes to the, where the camp was supposed to be. They had intercepted the radio communications and uh, the hind kind of dropped, basically dropped mortars, mortar rounds on him and blew them up. Uh, one of the, one of the, their armored fighting vehicles, the, mar- the bad guys, um, armed fighting vehicles was able to flee and kind of serpentine through ruins and fields and avoid the hind. And unfortunately, Amy was rolling very badly and did not hit with the, she fired a five inch uh, air to surface missile and missed. She fired the Gatlin gun and missed. She hasn't fired any of the AGS 17 that's on the hind, but uh, tried to drop a bomb and, and only got a siding a side glance. Uh, but now it's kind of cordoned. It has been trying to talk to these guys um, and now has delayed things enough so the rest of the group can come up and we'll probably have maybe them start shooting at the BMP to destroy it. They did destroy one BMP and capture the infamous chemical rounds um, or secure chemical rounds that they heard that the Baron, that's the reason they're attacking this convoy. Um, they did secure one set of chemical rounds and then the ME is already planning ahead and the other players are planning ahead to attack Baron Zarni's stronghold which is the Ministry of Technology in Warsaw, which is what they called Stalin's Cupcake or Stalin's Birthday Cake or something that's, that Joseph Stalin built in Warsaw uh, during the Cold War. Uh, but half of it is blown off or something like that in this Twilight 2000 fictitious universe. So the other game we played, we, we did play a session of Walking Dead, the continuing Walking Dead, where the player characters were able to make it back to their home base. Um, what things happened i honestly oh now i remember i rolled some random encounters for their journey back they ran into another straggler from a different faction since they had taken out the living and that the living never really gave chase they had i kept rolling randomly to see if the living gave chase and it just didn't happen i guess they were so well one of the player characters um had shot the the leader of the living and incapacitated them didn't kill them but dealt them like a you know a wound that would knock them unconscious or enough damage to knock them unconscious, and then they fled. And there was I guess, and they also sent a, a walker swarm into the living's uh, factory compound, and uh, that probably has disrupted things. So the living have not given chase or retaliated yet, but they had two random encounters. One they found a straggler who's being chased by a swarm, and they're able to rescue them, and then they came upon this like walker walking um, around on the road. Uh, oh, they had found a vehicle and unfortunately they crashed it. Like not, not 18 kilometers later, uh, they crashed it because they were distracted by this walker walking. He had a gun and ammo, like an ammo belt on him. And they tried to uh, uh, go up to it and it turned out to be an ambush by some other people. So there is a, a tenuous situation where 
Um, one of the player characters was almost shot, but used the zombie body as cover after killing the zombie or destroy dispatching of the zombie walker that had the gun and stuff. The gun even jammed. Um, but then the people in the crashed vehicle were a little beat up, but not, not that hurt. They just kind of rolled, crashed into a ditch. And then when she, when the driver tried to get it out, it rolled over. Uh, anyway, they finally got out after some time and then were able to set up covering fire and then the player was able to run into a, a building and not get shot at. And the other player was able to take out the sniper that was shooting. And then there was another confrontation. But then, like, that person was talked down and said, hey, man, we didn't, you know, I don't know what you're about. And I kind of, there's random tables to see the disposition of these people. And the player made a great uh, manipulation role to talk this person down that was attacking them. And it turns out this person was a nice person. And was just caught up in the situation because the other person was bad. So they got a new potential ally and person that they're going to, they took to the compound. So pretty cool little session there. That is on the YouTube too. Um, I think, I think it's going to premiere soon on the YouTube. I think uh, this weekend it's going to premiere. And then we've done a couple sessions of Deadlands with the uh, new Night Train adventure. We premiered one on January 29th, and it's the Night Train Adventure. It turned out really well, a great uh, setup and investigation. I really like Deadlands a lot, the Savage World edition. And we have some really neat, some unique characters. We have a huckster, a, hex, a, a hexlinger, so a huckster that has been able to etch magic runes onto their weapon, on their weapons. We have a harrowed, um, so an undead, you know, living undead. And then we have a bounty hunter, and they're a nice cool trio. Uh, I guess it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, really. And uh, I don't know which one's which. <laughs> Probably the ugly is the harrowed, right? But anyway, there was a really neat investigation. Uh, they found out that there are these... Uh, it, it's really... It's a it's a 25th anniversary version of the, the classic Night Train Adventure from Deadlands. And if you know the story, well, you can Google it and look it up. Suffice it to say, they're bec- they become... Um, uh, vampire hunters so it's pretty neat and they they just uh, this last session we did which i think premieres uh premieres next week is uh is like the conclusion to the the kind of two-parter that i did so i thought that was really exciting our tales from the broken anvil we played and that is on hiatus but the last session all these sessions is curious are very action-filled except for the harn adventure now maybe i'm bracketing this correctly inadvertently um but the because i'm going to talk about anyway so we did have a session of tales from the broken anvil but that is on hiatus because uh, three of the players are going to not be able to make it for a little bit because it's tax season and they work in accounting and get to do people's taxes haha <laughs> so uh, but that was a really exciting session it's a adventure uh, encounter that i put together myself it's called against the cartels it's a multi-parter uh, probably two to three sessions maybe and we'll see how they do. But I think after this, they're going to cause so much confusion and chaos and make some enemies against more than one cartel in the city of Sharn that then they're going to have to duck out and maybe go adventuring uh, on another continent. Maybe Zendrik follow the, the path and the leads from the, um, the Arcana that they found uh, the, in the last adventure. So the missing... The missing arcana that they found in the last adventure. They'll probably have a somehow sponsor an expedition to Zendrik, which would be kind of neat. 
We played Shadow Dark, which was kind of cool. That premiered February 13th this week. And that was a really funded game. I hope we get to it. I did not run that. My friend Anne ran it. And I really liked how Shadow Dark worked. Um, BJ and I talked about it a little bit on our MOSR podcast. So check that out. And lastly, we've been playing... We finally... Well, we played Kingmaker. And Kingmaker and Traveler. And none of those games have had combat for a little bit. And I would say that the Kingmaker adventure, while the first session of our Kingmaker adventure without combat was, was pretty interesting and exciting because the players, uh, they finish the first book in Kingmaker and now they get their land charter officially and they start building their village and we did uh, all the land stuff. In the second session, we built the village stuff and that took a little longer and we went through a, a turn, like a, um, yeah, we went through a, a land, is a kingdom turn, I think they're called a kingdom turn. And that was just kind of slow. And I'm, now I'm debating whether I should just do it on the Discord or not. But I, I think it's important to just do the roles, uh, honestly, and not, and not do it on the side. But maybe it'll go faster as we learn the process. Or maybe the, I was a little tired and maybe the players were a bit tired too. So it was a lot of a lack of energy in that session, um, which doesn't really help with my premise that a game can be exciting without action or combat. Um, but the other session, the Traveler session, I thought was very exciting. Um, I've started our, they started our murder investigation and the players asked a lot of questions, were savvy. Uh, we, they did sort of the investigation, like ex- the bo- did the body, the cursory body examination. Now they're doing an autopsy and they did a, a bit of an autopsy, actually. We got to that. And then they examined the crime scene. So we did that. And now they're pursuing leads. They're finding a missing person of interest on the ship. It's a ship, a, a cruise liner in jump space. So no one can get away, at least for the next five days. If they don't solve it within five days, well, that person could get away. So we'll see how that goes. But they have a lot of people to interview and I really want to see how this murder mystery goes. And I think it is, it is I'm, the way I talk about it, you could tell. I'm kind of excited about it. So, so I hope it goes well. And that's kind of a roundup of the games that I've been playing. And uh, I guess it, maybe I am, I'm answering my own question that you don't have to have combat for a game to be exciting and compelling. And I know I've run, I know a player of mine who maybe they didn't like the system in a game and t- the Tales from the Loop game said it was a really uh, exciting session, even though there was no combat. And that was Tales from the Loop, which is kids on bikes, like Stranger Things, right? Um, except without any... There was some definitely some conflict and some tension, but there was no combat. And they still kind of won the scenario. And I thought it was really fun. So I guess it depends, which is always the answer, it seems. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I think uh, that'll be it. And uh, next up, well, you know, I'll conclude here. Uh, the next, if you want to skip ahead or end here, if you don't like unboxings. Um, but I did unbox something that I think is pretty cool. Um, I'll give my thank yous here and then do the unboxing. After the whoosh of the rocket, You'll there's an unboxing. And it's for a neat game. Um, I'll have to put the link in the show notes if I haven't already. <laughs> And it's for um, Dr. Grod, Grod Bort's Scientific Adventure Violence. 
it's a science fiction role-playing game using a 5e-ish rule set. And I have like three 5e-ish rule sets. Uh, four sci-fi games that I'd like to get to the table, and this is one of them. It's kind of like crazy retro sci-fi, and uh, you'll hear it in the unboxing. All right, thank you so much for listening. This has been The Geomologist Presents. Thank you, TJ Drennan, for the intro and outro music. Thank you, Amy, for the clever clip art. You can send me feedback at geomologist at gmail.com, either by text or voice message. You can get me on the Discord, uh, hashtag Carl Rodriguez, or at Carl Rodriguez, however that works. You can send me a voice message there. I have a SpeakPipe account that you can leave me a 90-second message. And if you want to just leave me a cute, short, one-minute message, you can still use the Anchor for Podcasters, Spotify for Podcasters, uh, web app to leave me a message. Thank you so much. Good night. Good rolling. And on with Dr. Grog Bortz scientific violence, violence space adventure thing. I have this box. I'm going to open it. The box measures 27 centimeters or 10 and a half inches by 13 inches or 33 centimeters. It is also somewhat thick, 11 centimeters, four and a quarter inches. And my cat wants to get involved. Nope, cat, not with the blade nearby. It's my new cat, Jewel, J-O-U-L-E, named after the chemist, not Jewel, like J-E-W-E-L, diamonds and stuff. All right, it's from Exalted Funeral. I think I know what this is. Will I ever get to play it? I don't know. It was really fun when I was doing the Kickstarter, and I got to move Jewel again. So he doesn't get cut with the blade, or near the blade. I open it. It's somewhat dinged and dented, and then there was, hmm, looks like someone tried to open it, or the tape on the outside is a little cut. Watch out, Jewel. He's messing with the box now. I'm probably going to end up cutting myself. The box is open. The blade is done, is retracted, and it's bubble wrap. And what we got? Oh, we got a t-shirt too. That's kind of fun. Bubble wrap. Maybe he'll go for the box. Go for the box, Jewel. Because cats love boxes. So there's actually like a little, like what's in the box? Uh, Dr. Grodd aborts a scientific adventure, violence, print plus PDF. I don't think they have the PDF in the box. XL, Dr. Grodbert's t-shirt, crash and burn. Bag, Dr. Grobert's Industries logo dice bag. Color pin, Dr. Grobert's Industries Haber Spacer Dasher Castroverter enamel pin. Dr. G logo, a patch, a tray. Dr. G multifunction tray and malfunctions, a field guide to malfunction azine. Fun stuff. So, but the t-shirt unfolds first. Oh, I like the patch a lot. The patch is cool. I got hats to put a patch on. Dr. G Industries. And the, the pin is pretty neat, too. I don't know where I put the enamel pin. I guess if I ever cosplay. Dr. G, the bag is very nice. 
I'm gonna have to put this all out. Except the cat keeps messing me up. Come on, cat. And the tray is actually really cool. It's a very nice tray, actually. Um, it's got like a square tray. It's got the snaps on the corners, and it's pretty. It's a good thick size, and it has like a a picture on the flat part, you know, to make the tray. So, Doctor Grobert's Industries is not liable for damage incurred the use of its products, whether it's said, damaged, or real, whatever that means, imagine, not likely, or grievous and disfiguring. Well, let's not be dramatic. I like a game that doesn't take itself too seriously. And then we got the books that the cat is still trying to mess with because cats like to rub their faces on books, apparently. I haven't even opened the t-shirt yet. Oh, cool. I thought it was going to be like a A4 size, but the Dr. Grobert's Scientific Adventure Violence for... A role-playing game setting and something compatible with 5 and 5.5e. Interesting. So it is by TJ Grackle, Brian Saliba, and Zach Thaler. Forward by Greg Broadmore. So it's kind of like that golden age sci-fi. What are you doing, cat? No, cat. No, I'm going to push you off again. Yay, I think you finally got the hint the cat did as I set this stuff up. So the main book is actually pretty nice. Welcome to the most Scientologically and imaginary entertainment setting and supplement ever foisted upon this or any world. So what is it? It's retro-futuristic pulp sci-fi cosmos bursting with ray guns, rocket ships, and robots. 10 5e character classes, but scientized. Five known species, 20 new backgrounds, 125 plus ray guns, gadgets, gizmos, 26 vehicles, 61 creatures, 26 NPCs, 8 bizarre and powerfully technological types, 4 worlds to explore. Get your ray gun, strap in, and blaze your smoking, likely radioactive trail through the solar system. It, does, it did sound pretty cool when I did the Kickstarter, and it looks pretty fun. Uh, and it's a known system, 5e, so it'd be kind of fun to do sci-fi 5e. I think I have three different variations of 5e sci-fi and i'd love to get one to the table of course so chapter one is the introduction so like a gazetteer two is how do we play character creation is chapter three equipment is chapter four uh, the gm's handbook is chapter five so how to run the game in the drg universe interplanetary bestiary is chapter six dramatis persona is chapter seven so like npcs and appendices uh, etc. Uh, malfunction tables. Oh, fun. Bio fiddlery is the organ spell index spells. Two penny equipment. So that's kind of cool. I do like it. It's called Dr. Grodbert's Scientific Adventure Violence. It says it's for adults, specifically and crucially, adults not offended by satire. All right, which would be interesting. So I like it. It looks pretty fun. It does look really fun to play. Right, ray guns and robots, so retro sci-fi. Um, pretty interesting. And I did, I don't know, I guess I did go all in and I got all the stuff where these were a lot of stretch goals. And the field guide to malfunctions. Oh, this is like a whole book and supplement on when things go kaboom and how they mess up. Gotta love it. All right. So, there you go. Picture incoming.